electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. How to ride all the volatility in stocks one day up, the next day down, and tech especially getting dragged all around. So how long is it likely to last? We will ask the investment committee get their best place for your money this hour. Joining me for the hour, Brenda Vangelo, Steve Weiss, Joe Chernova, John Nigerian. He's the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Let's check the market. Stocks, as you know by now, are lower. The 10-year note yield sits at 151. Stocks up, as I said, all around this week, especially recently. Take a look at this. I mean, the Nasdaq is a good picture of the volatility that all of us have been enduring uh, for the last several trading days. If we can get you that, we'll, we'll show it to you. But it really has been tech, sort of the epicenter of the most volatility in the market. Inflation fears, that's where the culprit lies. Rates go up. Tech seems to go down. Joe Terranova, you say the market is in a tenuous position. Sure. Yeah, I think we could use that word. I think that's where we remain. Um, I don't see this, though, Scott, as a risk off environment where 15 to 20 percent down uh, for equities is going to be the path. I think there are too many conditions that suggest otherwise. Credit markets are good, high yield, investment grade, trading well. It's not risk off, certainly in the crypto market as that approaches new highs. So this is more of the continuation of what the theme of 2021 has been where it's been rotating based on what the strategy is going to be. Now, why is it more tenuous this time around? Because you've had a 15% pullback in Facebook, an 11% pullback in Apple, 75 from Microsoft. So this time around, it feels a little bit different because they've come for the big five mega cap equity names. But I think they hold, uh, they hold the path moving forward of where this market is going to go. And I think we're getting to a point where we are closer to a bottoming out process than a further deterioration for markets. Oh, no, you say, you know, it's being dragged around because of your words, what the strategy is going to be. Uh, mm-hmm. This doesn't feel like that much strategy. Sure. It feels like ah, rates go up one day. Let's sell tech rates ease off a little bit. Let's buy them back. Well, pull, pull back the lens, Scott, if you would, and look at uh, where we've where we've traded since the middle of September. That's that's where you'll find a lot of mega cap technology stocks found their peak. And that's where we began uh, this rise in yields from uh, below 1.20 towards 1.50. So we've kind of settled in here on yields. uh, But if you pull it back over the last three weeks, you'll see that that's really what's dictating behavior in the markets, in particular, as it relates to the fangs. All right. So we speaking of uh, the fangs, and, and we've been mentioning the last couple of days, the moves lower, not only in Big tech, but the Nasdaq itself, internally, the stock's there 65 percent now. Yesterday, it was 70. Sixty five percent of the Nasdaq 100 is down at least 10 percent from the 52 week highs. I ran through a whole bunch of names, which I can get through some of those again in in just a moment. 
I do want to focus, though, on Apple, John Nigerian, because I think yesterday I asked the question as it relates to not only the 65 or 70 percent of stocks that have pulled back 10 percent or greater or related to the mega cap tech like the fangs when enough is enough. And apparently you've seen enough is enough because you've now bought Apple calls fresh. Yep, uh, we've seen uh, yesterday, Scott, when it traded down, broke through 140, 138, and so forth to the downside. Um, we, we saw people starting to nibble. Well, they took bigger and bigger bites today. Uh, I will say that the action is short term, however. In other words, the calls that we saw are this week expiry uh, calls at the 142 strike, with the stock now just crossing 140. Um, but nonetheless, uh, if you're somebody who's looking for some of the tech that's not getting wrecked, uh, this is one of those. Obviously, uh, one of the original fangs, Netflix, has been off in a world of its own. I mean, Netflix uh, just a week ago was in the, uh, what, uh, 590 range, 585, something like that. And Netflix has just zoomed to the upside, um, you know, pushing towards that all-time high of 640, or thereabout, I think it hit 637 or something today, Scott. So, wow, some of those moves uh, certainly show you that people aren't just throwing everything out. They are selective, uh, to Joe's point, when some of these stocks have made uh, pretty decent corrections. You've seen people stepping in rather than just bailing on some of them. But Apple is certainly one where we saw unusual activity today. And I added to some of those calls today. I mean, uh, you know, Kramer makes the case, you know, if inflation is the, the big culprit, Kramer makes the case to ignore it, uh, at least in terms of what's happening with this pullback in tech and buy some of these stocks on the cheap. You know, John, I look at, you know, a crowd strike, which you have calls in is down 14 percent off its high. Tesla's down 13. Ouch. Starbucks down 13. Mm -hmm. uh, some of the other names which you're not in, but the Splunks, the JDs, the Microns, the Activisions, the Qualcomms, we're looking at 35 towards 25 percent across the board for those names off of the 52 week highs. So how far does it does it extend into looking at some of these names and saying this is just just too much? They've gone down too much. Well, I'll give you a couple quick examples, Scott, um, although unfortunately not in those names that you just uh, rattled off. But uh, yesterday we started seeing across the board buying in the Chinese stocks uh, that the CCP had li literally been doing that circular firing squad. Um, they'd just been taking one of these out. It's Didi, it's uh, Tencent, it's Baba, it's PDD, it's JD. Um, you know, it's Billy. You just they were just hammering all of these stocks. Now you look at what are people buying to your point? Uh, are, when when is it enough mm -hmm. that people actually start saying even with that much pressure, even with an entire government coming down on its own uh, stock market? Uh, people are stepping into those names over the last two days, Scott. That's exactly what they've been doing. Well, they have been buying Baba. They have been buying Billy and many of those more or less saying that, wow, after you take this much of a haircut, which is certainly not the 10 or 15 percent that we were talking about for U.S. tech, many of those stocks have lost half or more of their value uh, during this time. And I think that's pretty noteworthy as well. Which is probably why, Steve Weiss, you covered all of your China shorts. 
plays right off of what Dr. Jay is talking about. You've seen enough to the downside there that it was just time to, to cover, as, as he mentions, the moves in, in the buying, the money going into some of those names? Well, shorts, as I've, as I've repeatedly said, you have to trade around your shorts most of the time because the market dynamics are different than they were years ago and just sit with one. Look, I think they deserve to be down what they're down, but when you have articles coming out now in conferences where the, the largest asset managers are saying stay away from it and the stocks are basically flat, then the trade's over for now. So I've covered them before only to come back in. I don't think it's over by a long shot. But, you know, they've been good trades, and they've clearly found a bottom, as John points out. So, uh, so yeah, so I covered them. The other thing that you did that I find interesting, and, and you'll have to give me the most up-to-date thing, because our, one of our producers, Patty Martell, was, was going through your, your trades with me this morning, and it was like, okay, he was short the XLK earlier, then he, I know Joe's laughing, he knows where I'm going, he, he, his head's spinning too. He's short the XLK, but he covered it, but now he's short again, so I don't know, by 12 noon, did you cover it again? Where are you at, Weiss? So, so look, so in the XLK, I'm actually not in anymore. I spoke to Patty, I was going back in, but it, I decided not to. So you're not so in it right now. You're I've not, you're not shorting the XLK no, no. right I, now. I have no... Just, just so our I viewers have, know what's up. I have no... Well, if you let me talk, I'll well, tell you Well, I know, but up. I mean, we're going to so talk I have around no just trying to make sure we get it. <laughs> okay, well, let, let me make it very okay, clear for you, do. clearer than please, the viewers please, need please to hear, maybe. So I'm not, short, I'm not short any indices at all now. I was short, as you know, the Qs and the SMH. I shorted the XLK yesterday when I saw that rates were moving higher. And that was reason. The, the market has actually lagged it. If you take a look, it used to trade Parapasu. Now it's lagging it. So I shorted it yesterday coming into today. I covered this morning when you got the news coming out of Russia about them willing to contribute to the oil production. That took rates, uh, rates, you know, bonds rallied, rates came down. So I covered all my uh, shorts, indices shorts at that point. So, look, you know, 90% of my portfolio is long term, 10% I trade around. And guess what? When opportunity presents itself, you got to take advantage of it. I, I don't recommend everybody do it at home. I don't recommend people, other people in the show do it. John does it actively. Joe does it a little bit, but others like Brendan just long-term stick I, with I it. I totally Everybody's get it. Everybody's got a different strategy. That's fine. I, I know. I just wanted to make sure people understand the rapidity of the moves that you're making. I mean, it's literally short cover could go short again in a in a, in a moment's notice. It it may not be the easiest or best strategy for um, whoever happens to be watching and thinking about. And and, and the reason let, let me explain it. Okay, I use stops. So when I go into a short-term trade, I use stops. And I'm not going to stick there once I get the stop hit. I'll sit back and I'll take wait and say, okay, do I want to go back in or not? Generally, I'll just move on because it's very distracting. Mm -hmm. Today, I just thought there was an opportunity to make make money. I hear you. Uh, Thank you for the explanation. Appreciate it. Brenda, Intel, Mm -hmm. you own it, down 22% from the high. PayPal, down 16% from the high. NVIDIA, down 11% from the high. But what is your view um, not only of those particular stocks that you happen to have in your own book, but of the Nasdaq in general and whether enough is enough, whether it's time to buy some of these stocks, as Jim Cramer uh, would say, on the cheap, not necessarily h- him referencing these individual names per se, but the idea. 
Yeah, I think we're getting close. And I think, you know, adding some of these more growth oriented names um, would be wise at these levels, um, especially because I think what's happening in the market is in, where this, in this terrible couple week period where we just don't have a lot of answers. We don't have answers on what's happening with the debt ceiling. We don't have answers about how impactful supply chains, uh, how, how disruptive the supply chain impact is going to be to company earnings. Um, we don't know about uh, oil, oil, oil supplies globally and how that's going to impact growth and inflation. So I think we are kind of at a cusp where many of these things could impact economic growth. And to that extent, I think you want to have some exposure to these growth names um, that are going to be able to grow, even if the economy um, doesn't recover as quickly as we all think it might. Uh, but I still think it is important to have exposure to more cyclical industries as well, uh, because uh, we may end up growing through it. Um, and it may not be as impactful as we all think it is if we're looking forward out to a year or more. Um, so I think it's still important to have exposure to many of these growth names. And I think now is a great time if you don't have exposure to start picking away at some of these, but understand that over the next couple of weeks, we're likely to continue having this volatile bouts. Um, so you just have to stick with it. Hey, Joe, how concerned are you that what is a 9% decline for Apple over the last month becomes a 12 to 15% decline or an Amazon that's a seven becomes a 10 to 12 alphabet, which is five becomes a seven to nine. You know where I'm going with that. Does, does this market feel like those stocks need to sh shake out a little bit more or not? Absolutely. That's why I use the word tenuous. Um, if, if, in fact, we do see further declines, then you're going to see the overall index go down low. Now, the likelihood of that occurring in the period that we are now currently uh, pricing these stocks at is higher than it's going to be in the next couple of weeks. Why is that? Because right now you've got this blackout period. I keep talking about the significant amount of buyback authorizations that are in play for these mega cap technology companies, but they're just not enacting on them right now because they're waiting to report earnings. So we're in this period right now where the vulnerability, as you suggest, it is there. And it's something that if we see further deterioration, the S&P is going down. Then what do we make, Joe, of these calls that the street is continuing to defend these names? You, do we pay any attention to these? Apple reiterated overweight, J.P. Morgan, 180. Facebook reiterated by Bank of America, 425. Microsoft reiterated overweight Morgan Stanley, 331. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I would say that I'm reiterating, too, on my existing positions, whether that be Alphabet, Apple, or Microsoft, because I'm not touching them. I'm not selling them. I'm not hedging against them. I'm not buying puts, because ultimately I think they resolve themselves to a path that is higher in its nature. I wouldn't touch Facebook. We went through that the other day, the reasoning behind why I wouldn't. I think this is a larger problem that really is going to lead to sentiment destruction for Facebook itself. Uh, but I think these fangs overall uh, are going to be able to afford investors the type of company that you want to be allocating towards in a rising inflationary environment. What's that? Strong operating leverage, strong balance sheet, capital allocation strategy, and double-digit revenue growth. Dr. J, how much of the volatility do you think that, that we've seen over the last many days has to do with what's taking place in the energy? I mean, natural gas is obviously going crazy over in, in Europe. It's been a big story here. We're watching oil prices as well, pushing mm -hmm. $80 a barrel. That fuels the, in, pardon the pun, yep. fuels the inflation debate. Um, what are we to Absolutely. make of what's happening there? 
Well, you're absolutely right, Scott. And I, I read just uh, yesterday about uh, India was down to a four-day supply of coal uh, as far as those power plants and so forth that they're reliant on. Um, you know, th there is a global squeeze on energy right now. There's no doubt about that. And some uh, words, soothing words, I guess, which we rarely get from uh, Mr. Putin, um, actually helped reverse that 35, 40 percent jump overnight in natural gas over in Europe. Um, Putin saying basically, hey, I've got all the natural gas you guys want. He didn't say at what price, Scott, but uh, nonetheless, um, they're paying more than five times for natural gas what we are here. So in other words, uh, we're very lucky to be um, energy independent. Um, Europe is not in that position. They will continue to have to rely on Mr. Putin and others uh, for the energy that they need. And clearly that is impacting prices of a variety of things. And that inflation will be something that, you know, this jobs report, we're all looking for it on Friday after today's good or even great ADP report. Um, so to Brenda's point, yeah, we're waiting about the debt ceiling. We're also waiting on that jobs report. And then how is the Fed going to react to the inflation that is clear and present? And it's a danger, Scott. It's one clear of the and present danger. Yeah, I'm stealing that. But that's nonetheless what it is. It's, it's one of the reasons why, you know, people whites are growing more bullish about commodities. What I find interesting is that even in the current environment, you're selling FCX, Freeport, McMoran. Right. You say it's not going to work despite the perceived good news for the commodity space vis-a-vis -vis what I'm talking about with Doc. Right. So here's my view on commodities, which is when everybody loves them, when everybody's pushing them, that's when you've got to be cautious on them. So copper pricing, I watch the commodity charts, all the commodity charts pretty carefully. Copper pricing is actually held up. But it's atrophying a little bit. And despite the good news, you've had another recommendation on the stock today, an upgrade. Uh, the stock's not responding, and it has been responding. So copper's not a growth stock, not a growth story. Uh, aluminum, even though it's holding up, is not a growth story. So commodities go up and down, and I just they're impossible to analyze because so much speculation comes in and drives the is, prices. Is steel no a growth China's story? Slowing down. Is steel a growth story? Steel is steel is not a steel is not a growth story. Why do you love all. Cleveland I mean, Cliffs then? Are you in the right spot? Why do you love Cleveland Cliffs? Well, number one, I don't. Number one, I don't love. Cleveland you love Cleveland Cliffs. Cliffs. It's not a big love position Cleveland Cliffs. for me. I like Cleveland, Cleveland Cliffs. Cliffs. <laughs> Cleveland Cliffs. You might not love it as much as Farmer Jim loves it, but you love Cleveland Cliffs because you talk about it all the time. You know, it's still a decent sized position you in your book you, too. You, you, Calling you out, Weiss. You, you can. You can ask uh, Farmer Jim about our offline conversations about Cleveland Cliffs. I don't love Cleveland Cliffs. I'm there. The reason why Cleveland Cliffs is somewhat different is that it's a fully integrated producer, and you've had a major decline, a $100 decline in the price of iron ore. Guess what their feedstock is? It's iron ore. So that's why I'm in Cleveland Cliffs. So that's a different story completely versus a pure play like Freeport in copper. Okay. Sure, they've got some other stuff, but basically it's a pure play. Oh, but let me just tell you one thing about the market, oh, okay. which, which I think everybody's missing here, okay. which is that the market got to where it is by some growth in earnings, some actually pretty good growth, great comparisons from the pandemic, mm -hmm. and multiple expansion. Mm -hmm. When rates go up, and we're in a tightening cycle, make no mistake about it, 
compression happens to multiples. So we're seeing the downside of multiple compression right now. And that's what's keeping the market low. And that's why I remain very cautious, because I don't think there's going to be a good quarter at all for earnings. Well, then that's what matters most. That's what I was going to say. That, that's why there is so much emphasis exactly. on the coming numbers, because if you're getting a compression of multiples mm -hmm. when you are only getting to where you were in large part because of multiple expansion, you need to have something hold up the foundation if the multiple expansion is going to stop, right? If rates are going to start moving the other way. Back to Cleveland Cliffs, because I, I'll tell you who really loves Cleveland Cliffs, Goldman Sachs. They upgraded today to buy. Now, they dumped the mm -hmm. price target by a couple of bucks, which is interesting. They, they take it from 26 to 24. So they, it's, it's a decent amount of upside. John Ajarian, you own Cleveland Cliffs calls. Do you, um, you want to take yes, issue sir. with anything that your, uh, your, your buddy Weiss said in the box next to you? Oh, Weiss was uh, sharing those nuggets with all of us, Scott, and I always love it when he does. Um, but I, I do like Cleveland Cliffs, although, as you probably saw in my disclosures, Scott, I have four other stocks that I own the stocks and I've written calls. Cleveland Cliffs, I do only own um, the options on Cleveland Cliffs. And the reason that, you know, BHP and Freeport and uh, Rio Tinto and Vale are stocks that I own versus Cleveland Cliffs is that, you know, there's been a lot of pressure, obviously, on the, the iron ore sector in particular. And that a lot of it came from China itself. Again, I'm going to blame them because they did do that, Scott, as well as, of course, Evergrande, because uh, if you take a look at when Evergrande was about to or thought that they would default on either their uh, loans to banks or payments. Uh, that's when you saw iron ore, uh, in particular, the, the iron ore futures that they trade over in China. Uh, that's when you saw that bottom went from 200 to about 94, if memory serves. It has bounced back up to about 118 now. So is that a dead cat mm -hmm. bounce or is that a bounce that's sustainable? I think now that we have a little more um, insight into how China is going to deal with Evergrande and that these houses will likely or dwellings will likely still be completed, Scott, but that the debtors, uh, uh, the, the folks that lent that money, the lenders, I guess I should say, are not going to be taken care of. Um, that's good for the natural, uh, uh, the, for the future side of things, in particular for that iron ore. But that's why I like Cleveland Cliffs, uh, Stephen. I like Cliffs. I like FCX. And he, I like them because I think that the demand is just going to be mm. overwhelming going forward. He likes it. Too. I'm telling you right now, if Jim Labenthal, the farmer, Mr. All, if Mr. All in was not in, in Cleveland Cliffs, Weiss would just say he loves it right here. When Farmer Jim knows it because he's tweeting about it right now. He even says you love it, how much you love it. I should stay on you about it, which he, I intend to do. He says I do. love it. I also, I, I also asked Farmer Jim in an offline conversation, you should check on your love affair with the CEO. Anytime you fall in love with the CEO, you can probably find some issues. Double check. Doesn't mean you're not right. But let's be careful about this. Take the emotion out of it. If you recall, I sold valet at about $19, admitted I was wrong and got out. That's iron ore. And that goes into my Cleveland. Well, I mean, I so it's a position. You. It's I not have, a big core yeah. position. I have heard you wax poetic about Mr. Boncel over at Moderna. So, I mean, let's not kid ourselves here. Weiss. No, I said you've got to check yourself on the story. I think he's a phenomenal CEO. I've got other CEOs that I think are phenomenal. You don't own a company unless you think a CEO is a great CEO. All I'm saying is when it goes from an affection to 
you're putting up posters in the bedroom like our friend Farmer Jim is, where he's got walls and walls of pictures of the CEO of Cleveland Cliffs. Then you got to check yourself. Weiss, you need to check yourself. You need to check yourself. You might be in trouble. You might be in trouble. I'm not. I'm not. I don't make those decisions. Thankfully, thankfully, there are others who deal with that. So you may get a call later. We'll see. Vulcan Materials upgraded okay. to buy at Loop Capital. That's from Hold. Dr. J, since we're talking about materials, let's wrap the conversation since you own Vulcan Calls. Yeah. And uh, this is Courtney Gibson uh, is the president over here of Loop Capital. Uh, and uh, I, I think this is a good call. I certainly like Vulcan. Um, and for all those reasons I spoke of, Scott, I, I think that uh, we've seen a bottoming in uh, uh, the, uh, the sell pressure on those iron ore futures and many of the other things that go into exactly what Vulcan and Steve's favorites, uh, the steel uh, side of the street, what they need to uh, basically get back to work. Uh, so whether it's Nucor, whether it's Metal, whether it's U.S. Steel, Letter X, I mm -hmm. think all of them need what Vulcan and these guys do, all Scott. Right. Speaking of stocks in correction territory, this one's 11% uh, off of its yearly high, is Vulcan. We have a lot more ahead. John has unusual activity, as always, plus CNBC's Financial Advisor 100 list is out. We have the number one advisor with his investment strategy coming up right here on The Half. We're back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back to Halftime Report. I'm Leslie Picker, and here's our CNBC News update at this hour. The World Health Organization has approved a vaccine for malaria. The head of the U.N. agency says it's an historic development that will save countless lives. More than a quarter million children in Africa under age five die from malaria every year. Six former defense secretaries are urging Congress to take immediate action to raise the debt limit. They say it must be done to avoid, quote, catastrophic consequences for the U.S. military and America's position of leadership in the world. On the news, the prospects for a deal in Congress and the latest following this afternoon's expected debt limit vote in the Senate. That's tonight at 7 Eastern. 
federal regulators will introduce new rules requiring most major railroad and air transport companies to improve their cybersecurity measures. Reuters says the announcement will come later today. And NATO is expelling eight members of Russia's mission to the alliance. A NATO official says they were undeclared Russian intelligence officers. A senior Russian lawmaker says the Kremlin will retaliate but did not give specifics. Scott, back over to you. Leslie, thank you very much. We'll see you in just a bit with another story for us. Let's get now to Phil LeBeau. He's a General Motors Investor Day in Warren, Michigan. He did speak with the CEO, Mary Barra, just moments ago. Phil, what did she have to say? Uh, She laid out an ambitious plan. They will be briefing analysts starting in about 45 minutes on this plan for General Motors to grow revenues and grow them substantially throughout the rest of this decade. In fact, General Motors has set a target of doubling its annual revenue by 2030. They also plan to grow their EBIT-adjusted margins and, get this, be the leader, the leader in EV market sales here in the United States. Just a few minutes ago, I talked with Mary Barra about how she plans to grow the revenue. Here's what she had to say. When people see our EV portfolio, we think that's going to be additive in the early days as people are going to want to adopt EVs. You know, eventually as we get to 2035, we want to have our whole light duty fleet uh, be be all EV. But in that time, we see growth. So, um, you know, what I will say is there's business plans behind everything that allows us to say those numbers with confidence. All right. What about this target of being the leader in electric vehicle sales? We're showing you General Motors shares. And yes, those are GM at the bottom versus Tesla over the last couple of years. For some perspective, Tesla has 63 percent of the U.S. EV market right now. GM is third in the U.S. with nine percent of the market. It's a daunting task to catch Tesla. Mary Barra says they believe they will have a portfolio of EVs that allow them to do that. As we start to launch Ultium, all new technology, all new battery chemistry, it starts with the Hummer, but then there's a steady stream. And between now and 2025, we're going to have high volume segments as well as truck segments. So the way that we're going to capture that number one leadership position is the way we do it today, by having a wide portfolio that meets customers' needs, the functionality, and the price points that are important to them. And as you take a look at shares of General Motors over the last three months, now they did a lot, let's say nine months ago, when they really got credit for the investment in the EV market, really haven't done as much because of the chip crisis. Mary Barra says that they believe that they are in a better situation in terms of uh, the chip situation. She'll be talking about that today. But the bottom line is this. They plan to grow them their revenues through services and subscriptions. And Scott, you want to see more of this interview? Go to CNBC Pro. The entire interview is there. And we talk about whether or not you can grow services and subscriptions because right now there's resistance from car buyers to say, yeah, I'm going to give you X amount of dollars every month on top of the auto payment that I'm making for a new vehicle. There are some who are doing that. And look, Tesla with full self-drive, they have people who are paying a subscription and there are people who pay OnStar once a month. Can General Motors generate recurring monthly revenue through the software and services they plan to roll out in their electric and autonomous vehicles? It's a daunting task, but they believe they can double their annual revenue by the end of this decade. They can be a SaaS company along with a car company. Uh, Phil, Sure. Joe Terranova has a question for you, and it's related to Ford competing with General Motors in trucks. Joe? Yep. Hey, Phil. Great job uh, giving us the details here. But Ford's F-150 is going to come out next year. 
Uh, we're get, trying to get an understanding how GM's going to respond with Silverado. We have any guidance on when that will be unveiled? Right. Silverado E will be shown at the Consumer Electronics Show on January 5th. Now, when we actually see that in showrooms wow. and when you can buy one, that remains to be seen. I wouldn't be surprised if they're showing it at CES in January that they plan to start deliveries perhaps by the end of next year, but more likely you're looking at something in the 2022 range. Uh, but they realize that they cannot just let the lightning go out there and not respond, and they have big plans for Silverado E. We'll hear more about that this afternoon from GM President Mark Royce. Right, we appreciate it, as always, Phil LeBeau. Thank you so much. The GM meeting today. All right, uh, John Ajarian. So Weiss sold his General Motors uh, not all that long ago, and he's been in Volkswagen, which he's been getting hurt in lately. You still have your GM calls, Dr. J? Yes, I do, Scott. And uh, uh, I bet Phil would agree that one of the issues here is um, exactly uh, what does that backlog look like? Um, how many people are being added to the lists of people, which I'm on there. I mean, I, I put a down payment for both the uh, Hummer and the uh, Lightning, the Ford truck, uh, that I thought were both pretty compelling, Scott. Uh, we'll see, you know, how many of us actually get delivery of those. But uh, the point that he was making also about that reoccurring revenue or that you were stressing, um, it does become more of a tech play, um, just as Tesla has. And so uh, that reoccurring revenue and or revenue when you sell the vehicle, a lot of people don't understand that when you sell the vehicle, that particular IP um, for the everything from autopilot to a lot of the other neat things that Teslas do, that doesn't just go with the vehicle. Um, that new buyer needs to pay them again for that. And I imagine General Motors and Ford are looking at that and saying, that's a pretty nice revenue stream for us as well. And that's a good business plan that Mr. Musk set up. All right. Dr. J, thank you. All right, from job loss to nearly depleted retirement accounts, the pandemic forced many to reevaluate their lives and take charge of the uncertainty. CNBC's third annual Financial Advisor 100 list recognizes the top investment advisors helping their clients get back on track. The number one advisor on that list joins us next on the half. Dow's down 327. We're back after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Today, CNBC is unveiling our third annual Financial Advisor 100 list. The firms on that list represent over $440 billion in assets under management. They were ranked using a proprietary methodology developed by CNBC in partnership with data provider AccuPoint Solutions. Key criteria include total years in business, average account size, and total accounts under management. Joining us now, the number one firm on that list for the first time is Dana Investment Advisors, represented today by its CIO, Joe Varanth. Welcome. Congratulations. Good to see you. Thank you, Scott. 
Guys have been in the business for 41 years. You've got $7.3 billion under management. What's your strategy? Well, we run a number of both fixed income and equity strategies uh, across the board and actually have two mutual funds as well. So really a number of strategies that run the gamut in the in the public markets. You're, you're the CIO. What looks good to you today uh, in what is an increasingly volatile environment? Well, I, I know we've been, been talking about that. A um, couple of specifics on us. We're actually equal weighted to sectors and fully invested at all times. So we handle the S delegation outside of the actual strategy. But one name we like right now is TE Connectivity, TEL. Tell us why. So, you know, TEL, uh, really kind of a mainline industrial company. They make sensors, uh, electrical connectors, but that really exposes them across the board, medical industry, auto industry, uh, data connectivity, uh, industrial automation. And a couple of key things about TE, um, they expect to continue to grow earnings. Um, they've actually surprised right through the pandemic. So they had positive earnings surprises for the last six quarters, uh, both first and second quarter of last year and into the recovery. Uh, and also, they're also a play on the, the electric EV market, which you were just talking about. Mm-hmm. So um, the product they put into the EV market uh, is about double the value of what they put into a non-EV vehicle. What about the market at large? I mentioned the volatility that seems to be increasing. Are we setting up for a correction? Are we going higher? I mean, how do you generally see things when you're sitting with your investment committee? Well, you know, we see a continued reopening. Uh, COVID cases peaked about a month ago and fatalities have peaked very recently. Um, so, so we see a stronger market going forward. I, also, we've been, been talking about this correction in the, in the mega cap growth stocks. We think that's healthy as well. You know, we've gone through a number of years where mega cap growth outperformed the general market. And if they come together a little more through some of these mini corrections, we think that's healthy for the market. One of my investment committee members has a question for you, Joe Terranova. Joe, congratulations on the top rating. You mentioned mega cap growth companies. Clearly, we're in a search for yield environment and for an older generation that's searching for uh, income, it's been very challenging. Those mega cap growth names seem to offer a solution. Uh, would you agree with that strategy or how is it you resolve the problem of seeking income generation in a low yielding environment? Well, it, it, it's problematic. I, I think uh, the federal government, both the Fed and Treasury, actually want a little bit of financial repression here. So they're happy if they can keep interest rates low and inflation runs a little above that. So that makes it difficult to generate income anywhere in the fixed income market. Uh, Dividend equity plays, I think, make sense here. Uh, Financials have further to go. There's usually strong yields in the financial sector of the market. And financials are an area that have been a beneficiary this year and may continue to be. Energy as well. Uh, you know, integrated energy pays a pretty fair dividend yield as well. Joe, congratulations to you, your firm. I know it's a proud day for all of you. Um, good day for us to name uh, the number one financial advisor of the uh, Financial Advisor 100 list. We'll uh, keep following you and best of luck. Thanks and thanks for having me. All right, you guys take care. John's Unusual Activity is next. And before the break, take a check of the S&P sectors. Today's been a down day for stocks led to the downside by, well, there's your major averages. The S&P's down. There you go. There we go. Well, there's the Dow heat map. We'll just go with that. 
CRM's positive, Microsoft is, Walmart is, Dow Chemical's not, Cisco isn't either, nor is AXP. We're back right after this. Unusual activity time. Dr. J, what do you got? Well, Scott, uh, Twitter's had a lot of good news for it lately. Um, one of them, of course, was when Facebook went down for most of six hours plus on Monday. The other was Strike, which is a platform for payments uh, over the Lightning Network, Bitcoin payments and so forth. They've teamed up with Twitter. And perhaps that's why we're seeing such active speculation out in the 22nd of October expiration, 65 calls. The stock was only about $60.50, I think, Scott. So they're buying an upside call that's nearly $4.50 out of the money. Um, I bought upside calls in Twitter. I also already owned some. So in other words, I added to a position here. I'll probably be in those about two weeks. Second trade, take a look at Coinbase. This is a weekly trade that expires this Friday. In Coinbase, they're buying the 250 strike calls with the stock at about $249 a share. Um, obviously, uh, the big surge in uh, Bitcoin in particular, but a lot of the others like Ethereum back up over 3,500, Bitcoin through 54,000. That is helping drive uh, many of these stocks like Mara, like Riot Blockchain and so forth. It's great for Coinbase, should be good for Robinhood as well. But this is the one we're citing 250 calls that expire this Friday. I'm in those calls, Scott. All right, cool. Uh, Brenda, you're in Coinbase, right? We are, and we see just this underappreciated opportunity that no one really talks about, and that is that crypto world and traditional finance world speak two different languages. And we've seen so many people come to us with tremendous amount of wealth they've created in the crypto world, wanting to diversify and, and do it in a tax efficient way and engage with the traditional finance world. And no one really has a good solution except for Coinbase. Um, so we really think that presents a tremendous opportunity for the company in terms of growth, that institutional side of their business. Joe Terranova, you like you and Coinbase? So one of the best trades for me this year was buying uh, Coinbase on IPO day at three and a quarter and quickly selling it a couple of days later at 318. Uh. You saved a lot of uh, money there. So, I, you know, Scott, listen, I, I, I think you have to acknowledge there's been a lot of disappointment in using Coinbase as a proxy for crypto overall. Yes, it could rally here in the near term. But if you're not just going to go out and buy uh, the actual crypto itself, uh, there are other ways in the exchange world to play this. Interactive brokers more diversified model, more diversified products. And yes, it offers crypto. Uh, to me, that would be a better play. All right. We've got more trades ahead. We're going to try this again, too. We'll show you the S&P sector heat map as we go to break today as the S&P is under some pressure. Led to the downside by energy. A strong point of late energy, though, as the sector is down nearly 2%. We're back right after this. I want to welcome you back, uh, show you the major averages here. Dow is uh, under some pressure today, uh, down 258, 260, three quarters of 1%. S&P is down about 30. NASDAQ, where a lot of the volatility has been, as we showed you at the top of our program, is down about 64 points. How about this, though? I've got a new note that just dropped. Joe Terranova, thank you for sending this to us. It's by way of J.P. Morgan's Marco Kalanovic, who has some very interesting thoughts about where the market not only is now, um, but more importantly, where he sees it going in the near term. Joe, how about this? Kalanovic and his team says oil, they say oil can go to 130 or 150 without causing much trouble, their model shows. And he says the fear of higher yields oh. 
are also overdone. They say given the earnings power, I'm, I'm reading from the note, given the earnings power of corporate America and the relative valuation premium of equities over bonds, they believe the market can absorb a 10-year Treasury yield as high as 2.5%. It's about 100 basis points higher uh, than we are right now. They say, quote, we don't expect a broad market sell-off unless yields were to rise above 250 to 300 basis points on the 10-year, which we don't foresee in the near term. Uh, that's, those are quite uh, incredible comments. Joe, what do you make of that? Well, I think I, I also love the sentence where he says, we believe this was the last significant wave and effective end to the pandemic. I love that. and I know you do as well. But I'll tell you one thing. If those are the conditions, taper and tighten by the end of June in 2022. And I will tell you this. I think the Federal Reserve is already behind. November 2nd is the next meeting. The price of oil could be towards $90 by the time that meeting resolves itself. So if we get from Washington, D.C., a resolution towards the infrastructure bill and the social spending bill, I think the next day the Federal Reserve should be announcing tapering. I think it's so critical. The market needs it. And yes, we can endure much higher energy prices and much higher uh, Treasury yield pricing for sure and still see risk assets move higher. I agree with Marco on that, but we need to taper and we need to taper much faster than we're doing right now. Doc, you believe that? 130 to 150 oil? No. Two and a half, ten year in stocks no. are a okay. No, um, you will see, and I know Joe uh, has a long history in energy, um, but uh, Joe and Marco are dead wrong about this. You see, one thirty crude. Can we handle it? Well, I guess we'd have to, Scott. But can we handle it? No, that would impact the market in a negative way. Almost as bad as two and a half percent interest rates would, Scott. That's just a non-starter. That's going to blow things up if we see crude oil over 130. Well, they say that the economy and the consumer did just fine from 2010 to 2015 when WTI averaged $100 a a barrel. Um, So you got to factor in things like inflation and, and all of that. Sure. Yeah. Um, and you got to factor in things uh, that I don't know that this is uh, the call that I would make. And I'd certainly right. be betting against I, it. If I, we see those numbers, I'll bounce. be long a lot of puts. All right. I got to bounce. I'm sorry, Doc. We'll come back with final trades. Final trades. Brenda, start us off, please. Yeah, so Salesforce, just the high degree of recurring revenue and the lack of supply chain exposure could cause this company to be a standout here in the next couple of quarters. All right. Thank you for that. Dr. J. Um, I'm going to go with uh, Arc G. This is one of Kathy Woods, but I'm on the negative side, Scott. Mm. Puts at the 7150 strike in October. Wow, buying some puts in that. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, Joe, quick with a name and then uh, Weiss. Netflix, staying long. Volkswagen, staying long, great opportunity. All right, good stuff. Thanks, everybody. The exchange starts now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. 
with a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.